This podcast is for educational purposes only. The content of this podcast should not be used to diagnose, treat or cure any medical condition. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical treatment. Welcome to the Healthy Habit Hot Seat, where we chat to extraordinary humans and world-leading health experts to dive deep into the intricacies of the daily healthy habits that have shaped their success. Remember, success leaves clues, right? I'm your host and resident healthy habit coach, Loz Antonenko, and I cannot wait to help you re-energize your life so you too can create opportunity, vitality, and abundance to become the master of your own incredible healthy destiny. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Nicole Gibson, welcome to the Healthy Habit Hot Seat. Very stoked to have you on the show, mate. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a chat. Of course. So we're going to just kick things off really, really quickly. Imagine we are waiting in line at your favorite organic cafe and we've only got 30 seconds before we part ways because our takeaways are going to be ready. What's your most important message for our listeners in terms of who you are and what you stand for? Well, if I was actually hypothetically at a cafe, it would, I mean, there's a lot of variables. Yeah. But is it, is it someone that's really hot? Is it like an old lady? So I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like the most important thing um, is presence, to be present. And um, that's like a double whammy because that's the message I wanted to get across to your audience in the 30 seconds. But it's the reminder that if you're at a cafe, maybe don't have a a 30-second spiel that's pre-rehearsed and actually like look to the person to your left, look to the person to your right, feel into them and ask yourself, you know, how can I specifically make this person's day better by being present with, with them as an individual? And that honestly, was like the best 30 seconds feel I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Mate, thank you. And thank you for your honesty. I mean, it comes from the heart and what I love about the impact that you have on people, it, it goes deeper than just these superficial conversations that we have. And, you know, it really is a reminder for people that all you really have is now. So why waste that? on some predetermined conversation that you've got in your head when you can actually engage with people and have something far more heart to heart, right? Yes, exactly. Now, Nicole, you've made a vast impact in the health and education landscape in Australia. And you served as the youngest Commonwealth commissioner for mental health in history, advising directly to the Australian federal health minister and prime minister. I have to ask you, Do you think people are beginning to understand and becoming more inclusive of mental health in Australia or do you think we still have a really long way to go? Um, I want to answer this question in part. This is an important question. Please. The first part of this question is improvement. Yes, we've seen an improvement. People are aware that mental health is a a thing. I mean, that's an improvement. Ten years ago, there was such a stigma and a lot of people don't understand where the stigma comes from. Where the stigma around mental health really came from was back in the, until really the 70s, 80s, institutions and asylums were still the common treatment for someone that was diagnosed with a a mental health challenge. And then the reason that they were defunded wasn't because of the inhumane conditions of people within those institutions, it's because it wasn't cost effective. So all of these people that were previously sent to what was nicknamed the bin, as in the loony bin, 
were now in the hands of their families and friends to take care of them, you know, and there was this stigma around what they were going through. And now when we go and, you know, maybe get a diagnosis or we're struggling with anxiety or depression, it might be a really moderate to mild condition. Like everyone, I think, in the Western world has a degree of stress. But the fact that there's this correlation culturally that's been passed down from that time, I think really learning about the history of mental health is an amazing place to start to understand why that stigma is there. And then the second aspect of this conversation that I think is really important to explore is awareness is one thing, actually having the capacity to be present with the vulnerability that's in front of us and the vulnerability in ourselves is a whole nother thing. So we've had, we've come in leaps and bounds when it, when you think about campaigns like are you okay day for instance, but what are you okay day is not necessarily equipping people to do is to know how to feel comfortable if a friend turned around and said, actually, I've been considering taking my own life or these are the heavier things that I've been experiencing. So for me, I guess the, the operative, like what I would love to see more of is people actually committed to their own personal practice of feeling okay within their emotions, no matter what those emotions are, no matter what those feelings are. So that when someone else, well, also because it's important to love yourself, when you think about it relationally, so when someone shows up and they're having an experience like that, you're not um, creating a polarization. You're not separating yourself from them because that'll be the human defense. When you don't feel comfortable with what someone's going through, whether you're conscious of it or not, there's going to be a trigger of actually dehumanization, a separation that's going to happen of like, I don't want to see myself like you because I'm not comfortable with what you're experiencing. So I'm going to separate myself from you. And I I think this is where the statistic, like 85% of the Western world experience loneliness every single day. And loneliness is medically proven to be worse for your health than smoking a packet of cigarettes a day to experience chronic loneliness. So that's to me where the cure begins is when we learn, again, how to be present with what's truly present and not just skimming the surface, trying to um, stay above our emotions all the time. I'm just going to touch on something. When you talk about games like, are you okay day? You know, I notice a lot of people, so I'm somebody that's lived through the suicide. My husband took his own life in 2016, my first husband. So I've, I, I've had lived experience of going through that. And um, I just thought I'd share that with you. And the, the reality is like, are you okay day? It's almost like a trend. And I know that sounds really superficial, but I notice all these influencers and, and people who are looking up to them, they, they, they use these events or these campaigns as a way to sort of build status. And it seems very disingenuous. Do you know what I mean? So what, what's your take on that? Um, I really agree. I feel like as soon as something becomes an industry, you've got to really start considering how that changes a mindset. Like when I was working in, um, I actually first just want to acknowledge you. Thank you for sharing that. It's so much, you know, more than what people can ever understand unless they've walked in similar shoes or had their own sort of lived experience with what that truly is like. You know, when I was working on the commission and I was introduced to the fact that being a consumer of the mental health system and being a carer of someone who's within the mental health system was actually an industry, it really put so much into perspective and what I started to see, and this was actually a really taboo thing to bring up, especially in the position that I was holding because I was elected as a commissioner or appointed as a commissioner. 
um, because of my lived experience and my advocacy as someone that did understand. And that was actually like a revolution at that time. The fact that they would listen to the opinion of someone that had a lived experience with mental health was like a really big deal. Yeah, wow. And actually see that as a credible um, contribution to uh to the advice and the recommendations that were being handed up to the PM when I was first appointed, he had the portfolio for mental health. The lady got shifted to the health minister. But what I started to see and what I brought to light, and I had a lot of hate for bringing this to light, was when something becomes an industry like that, it also becomes an identity. And I saw a lot of carers and a lot of consumers hanging on to the identity that they had of mental health because there was actually a sense of purpose in that for them. And that's beautiful to a degree. But when someone's identifying with, uh, with their mental illness for so long, um, even when there's opportunity for them to actually step out of that identity and, and, and move on, or not move on, but evolve through it and become something else, um, there's actually a tension that's created there, which is what my work with um, Love Out Loud and also the foundation I ran in the first eight years of my entrepreneurial journey really focused on was this idea. And at the time, it was such a left field approach. But the premise was we actually need to be initiated through our mental illness, you know, which is actually ancient wisdom. Mm. We need to see it as a rite of passage and we need the permission um, to expand and to grow because what we do unconsciously to one another often is we relate to someone based on these experiences. Then as a human being, we need to be seen, we need to be acknowledged and we need safety within our tribe. And that safety comes when people know us. Yeah. So what happens then, like for me, when I was recovering from anorexia, the most terrifying thing about recovery was I had no fucking idea who I was going to be on the other side of that recovery because it was such an ingrained part of my identity that I just didn't know that there was Nicole beyond that eating disorder. Now I couldn't articulate it at the time, but as I did start to heal and evolve and I started to meet the edges of who I was, that was so much more than that, so much more than that, that actually made healing possible for me and and made evolution possible for me. So to a point where I'm completely free of that, of that disorder. And that's something that, you know, uh, many people still don't believe is possible in the grips of their mental health um, challenge. But I really think we need to relook at these industries and how things are framed. And, you know, when something becomes a glorified campaign and it's televised, what that then attracts. Mm. And, and yet at the same time, awareness is really important. So I think it's a conversation about integrity. And like you said, um, what, what being genuine really means. Yeah. Compassion and empathy, you know, like if you've walked in those shoes, it would be increasingly difficult, I think, to, to utilize a platform like that for your own gratification and influence. So yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack there and, and we can keep, we can keep going. We go so deep on this. <laughs> but I, just, I, I, I want to talk about love out loud because this is, this is a, uh, an entire movement that aspires to engage what 350 million people by the end of this year. And it's designed to successfully facilitate like the world's largest love-based movement. I'd like to know, like, what, what would you say was the main driver to get started? Uh, was it to raise awareness or was it something much bigger than this? Cause you have just touched on that. Yeah, for sure. I found myself in a really unique position and the unique position was 
Um, from 18 years old, I made the life decision that this was my life's work, not just mental health, but uncovering humanity is probably what I would call it and, and helping people be with their humanity and not reject their humanity. It makes me emotional, you know, every time I talk about that because I, I see the need so much in the world for us to, to reclaim our humanity and to connect to that humanity and how much pain is created in a human being when they're in rejection to that. Mm. It plays out in a multitude of ways, not just mental illness. It plays out in really toxic leadership styles. It plays out in the abuse that happens within relationships. You know, all of this is a symptom of us rejecting ourselves and not knowing how to process what we're, what we're feeling and to actually love ourselves. So I was in this very unique position making that decision so young I didn't really have a frame of what it meant to be uh, an adult in the world. You know, I was very naive in so many ways. And But isn't that really, the best place to start? Totally. There was no, and, and I'd spent, you know, five years of my adolescence in kind of this really intense identity construct. So breaking out of that, I also really didn't have the normal, I guess, identities that someone would develop going through their adolescence. So I was just in this very unique position of the fact that I recovered and survived my eating disorder was like the gratitude and awe I felt for life and the amount of love that, you know, just being able to have a morning, not even a whole day where I felt free and I felt like I could appreciate the sun on my skin and feel the ocean. Like I was just living life in high definition. That's what it felt like. What a great description. I, I really like that. I kind of want to steal that. <laughs> yeah, take it. That partnered with this deep desire to give back and to serve led me on a journey of um, uh, initially traveling through the desert to rural communities and, and doing um, community work and giving talks and um, the work just kind of started to build and accumulate upon itself. But the uniqueness of what I was doing was how much humanity I was listening to. Like, at the peak of those years, I was holding like four or five workshops and circles a day. So it was a lot of listening. And, and I started to notice in my facilitation that the less I said, the less opinion I imposed and the more I just allowed. So even though I was running, you know, I was facilitating four or five workshops a day, I was probably only saying like five to 10 sentences in the whole workshop, just the right question at the right time or feeding yeah. back that I noticed. And the better I got at this, the more I started to see people transform. The more I got out of the way and the more someone else had space to be seen in their wholeness, it started to really show me something very profound. At the beginning, it was like, wow, I feel so much better. That was the feedback. But the better I got at this, it was like feedback along the lines of I've seen a psychotherapist for 20 years and I had more healing in this one workshop than I have in the accumulation of that, that 20 years. And then I started to see schools that were implementing some of these strategies that the government had invested millions and millions, billions of dollars into um, rural communities to try to resolve some of the challenges with attendance, with violence, with drug abuse, that were starting to have these epic results, like the attendance at some of the schools in the desert in Western Australia. Imagine after like six months, had the 70, 80% attendance rate just through creating spaces and circles where people could use wow. their voice and, and say what was truly there and not need to be right and not need to agree, just be seen and heard. Um, and that's what began my advocacy, which led me to become a commissioner because the government was like, how are you getting these results? Like, <laughs> you, you have no financial backing. You're a kid. 
We invest like millions of dollars into these communities. You're getting better results than any of our experts have ever gotten. And, you know, one thing led to another, so on. But I got to this point in that journey when I was on the commission, I was still leading, I was still CEO of the foundation. And it's like I saw the, I guess, the equivalent of the Fibonacci sequence, but for humanity. Like it was just observation. None of it was speculative. None of it was my opinion or my my theories. Like people say love out loud is a philosophy and I guess it is because there's my spin on, on how I perceived what I perceived. But all of it came from just relaying what I saw and what Mm. I experienced. And I would really highly um, argue that anyone, any human that was exposed to that much humanity would draw similar conclusions, which is we all just want to be loved and and we all just want to be loved and to love. That's, That's it. Totally. What does that mean? It means to be seen and heard, to feel safe, you know, to feel accepted, so Love Out Loud takes you on this journey through what I saw in doing that community work to reach that place and be that place for other people. And when I published the book, it just had like this life force of, of its own. It was on a mission. That's what it felt like. Um, and a crazy series of like serendipitous happenings. Like I was speaking in Europe, um, in Estonia of all places in 2018 and someone that I'd met on a flight in Australia about six years prior uh, had just sold his company and wanted to invest in what I was doing. And we ended up flying to Italy and he was like, what's the ultimate dream? Because I at that point had stepped out of mental health because I saw that it wasn't just about mental health, Mm. which was a big decision like to retire essentially from the commission and a CEO role at 24 years old um, when everyone thought that at the top of your game, like getting taken to dinner by the prime minister, like was a really big decision. But in that conversation, I said, the one thing that inspires me the most is the idea that enough of us make a choice to live this way, that it creates a tipping point for how we live. And that curiosity, the possibility of like, what if love really was our baseline? Because what I would see in my work is everyone was seeking love. Mm. And when they found it, it was like, oh my God, I never thought it would be possible to get here. I never, I never thought that I could love myself. I never thought. So what that instilled in me was this like insatiable curiosity about what if that was just the, the normal place that we began, that you and I just met in love, like what then would be possible if people feel like they've reached the destination of like, I'm fully complete. I could die happy tomorrow when they find love. What would be possible if that became our baseline? Mm. And I think that that curiosity and that possibility just drove me to want to think in an even bigger way because I truly believe it's possible. Like when people say this vision is um, so altruistic or so ambitious, I guess because I've sat with hundreds of thousands of people now and I've seen the fact that we all want this, my belief around it is sort of like, Love Out Loud hitting critical mass has already happened. It just hasn't happened unanimously in a single moment because Mm -hmm. no one's been facilitating the togetherness of that experience. But out there in the world, there's 8 billion people that all want this. So it's just about getting enough of us to understand that and to see that and have a shared experience of that unanimously that it will shift a a timeline of how we... um, how we exist as a, as a species. It's just, it's just a stage of evolution that we've always had. 
and never realized, I feel. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Myospot's tongue elevation trainers. Myospot's are small dissolvable pads about six by two millimeters in size. They stick to the roof of your mouth and slowly dissolve with tongue elevation. Over one hour of tongue elevation, you'll learn to nasal breathe and improve your tongue posture, and this can help with snoring, sleep apnea, and improvement in your overall health. As someone on a personal journey of relearning how to nose breathe and improve my own oral posture, these tiny little hacks are an absolute game changer when it comes to optimizing my health and performance. The best part? The ingredients are all natural and vegan friendly. Visit myospots.com and use coupon code LOS10 to score 10% off your next purchase. You talked about some events in 2018 and, and during that time in your life, you've suggested that control was a recurring theme. Um, and then you managed to hold up traffic in the middle of the story bridge after totaling your car. While most people would just sit and cry about such a harrowing event, you as the kind of person that you are said that this experience was an absolute wake up call for you. Nicole, can you describe how this helped you refocus your mindset? I'm glad you enjoyed that article. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that was actually the third car I ever totaled, um, wow. which I, I don't know what that says about, about my driving, but keep in mind that I've done a lot of driving. So I think in the ratio of the amount that normal people drive, you know, to the amount that I've, I drove the whole of Australia for starters. So it's relative. It's like a relative thing. But <laughs> I, I have this, this saying, which is a feather, a brick, a bus. And the saying is the universe is going to stroke you with a feather. If you don't listen, it's going to hit you with a brick. And if you don't listen again, it's going to hit you with a bus. And I, it was actually around about the time that I made the decision to step out of mental health. So good observation there. Mm. And I was late for a meeting and I was um, trying to tell the person that I was late for the meeting and I was stressed and overthinking. And yeah, I literally drove into a bus. Wow. Um, how poignant. How poignant, right. I drove into a bus at the traffic, at, the, at the traffic of the story bridge, but there was a very defining moment. I think I spoke about it in the article, which is so it was a very dramatic event. As you can imagine, this is like the busiest part of Brisbane city at peak hour, like peak hour traffic. Um, everyone's really pissed anyway. So they managed to get fire brigade there. And one of the people that worked for the fire brigade, I'd recently spoken at their event, the SES, the safety services event about um, love and mental health and all the things that I talk about. And she got out of the car and she saw it was me. And I was just like in a state of shock. I, I'd never met this person before. And she came and she, this fire officer gave me a hug in the middle of the story bridge, like everyone watching. And she's like, it's you. I'm so glad that you're okay. The work you do is so important. Wow. And it really, like it, it shifted something in me because my focus was like, I cannot believe I've totaled another car like you can imagine like and just the inconvenience of the situation and like people would like beeping and like super pissed off and and this woman what a juxtaposition though like here you are thinking about all of this stuff that just sits here and you've just been taken deep straight up but the fact that you know she was inconvenienced by this yeah. they had to come because of my accident 
And she embraced me with gratitude of like, thank God you're alive because you're, you're, in, you're so important to this world. And I didn't, it's not that I made that about me. It's that it, it anchored me in, in such an important reminder of life and the preciousness of life in general and the importance that we have. And like, you might be in a metaphorical situation in your life where people are pissed off and there's traffic all around you and it feels like chaos and to me, that was just the potent reminder that even if that's happening, maybe it's a person, maybe it's yourself, you can still access such a deep gratitude for whatever that experience is. And it's, it's helping you become the person you need to be. Mm. And we don't always understand that. Like that was pivotal for me. I, I saw that sign as the bus. And I was like, okay, I'm listening. Like, I feel like I've had the feather and I've had the brick and this is the, the last thing. And I think that that experience with the fire brigade officer was just the, the kind of wink from the universe to be like, you matter. And even if it's really inconvenient, because it felt inconvenient, it felt inconvenient to leave government, to leave, um, you know, my foundation even if it's inconvenient, there's a deeper sentiment. And it's not, it's not in the way it's on the way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The martini, you know, like it's, yeah. And I love, I love that it was a bus though. Like I love yeah. the feather brick bus and it's a fucking bus. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. hello. Yeah. Now you talk about power and everyone's imperfections. It enables a person to love themselves. And we've sort of dived a little bit deep here. Um, what are your top three tips to someone that wants to help stop self-sabotage and, and find that love that we've been speaking about? Hmm. I guess the first thing that comes up when I sit with that question is through my own experiences and through working with other people, one of the gifts has been the recognition that the truth will always be the truth. doesn't matter how much you run from it. doesn't matter how much you deny it. Buddha said it, three things will always come out, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And sitting with people, say, in a retreat context, like a woman in her 70s a couple of retreats ago that we held who said, this is the first time my whole life I've really connected to what it means to love myself. Um, and seeing the joy and the elation in that experience and then also seeing, like, the pain of how many years she's denied herself of that experience and how, how many years she's run away from that experience to eventually land in that same truth. And for her, it was in her seventies. For some people, it's potentially the moment before they pass over, mm. you know, but what it's awakened me to is the fact that we have to meet our light. We, we have to meet our greatness eventually. Like it is the trajectory and the journey that every single soul is on. We came from the light. We're going back to the light. We are the light. That's why when you're loved, you become more of yourself. And the shadows are just there to help us know what we are. That's it. And there's a, that's beautiful. There's a gift in that. But as soon as you turn the light on, the, the shadow disappears. The shadow doesn't hold power over the light. Only the light hold, holds power over the shadow. And when you see that, it sort of, it stops being about like, how am I going to stop this sabotage experience? And more like, just an acceptance of like, well, this is what I am. I don't know. There's like, a, there's a softening that I think happens when you really realize that, that you can spend your whole life, you know, running away from your greatness, running away from what really is your truth. But at some point, 
there's going to be that, that day of, um, reckoning where you've got to actually embrace it and you've got to, you've got to accept it, um, about who you are. And to me, that inspires me. That's not a thought that, that scares me. It's something that actually really inspires me because I can bring that into my present moment and be like, well, it doesn't have to be hard. You know, it doesn't have to feel like a strain to, to overcome self-sabotage when you truly know what you are, when you meet who you are, which is the same thing that I am, which is the same thing that you are. Like it's divinity, your divine unconditional love when you know that about existence like if it's too hard for you right now to accept it about yourself what I want you to do is go and watch your sunset go and look at your favorite animal the beautiful birds that fly past your house whatever lights you up maybe the person you love look them in the eyes and I want you to notice what you see in that sunset what you see in that person that divinity that makes you feel something really profound and I want you to understand or just even be open to understanding that what you are seeing is the same divinity that is in you. Like all of that is God and you're not an exception. You know, and we have this conception that to love ourselves is to um, be selfish yeah. or narcissistic or whatever, whatever that is, those cultural things. But it's like when you really see that, I am so reverent to God, you know, which for me is, is unconditional love, the life force of all things, that it is like a slap in the face to not love myself because I'm made of those same, that, that same thing. And just because my feeble human mind and, and my ego gets in the way of seeing that doesn't make it any less true. Yeah, so for me it's just been a matter of reframing it because I don't think I could have forced my way out of that sabotage pattern. Like I was so deep in self-punishment. I was so deep in self-criticism, self-hatred. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. Like I had, I had tape over my mirrors. Like it was, it was bad. So how did I heal from that? And how do I see with the amount of love that I see with now was a matter of seeing truth. You know, it wasn't a matter of positive reframes or like any of that. It was just like actually connecting to what truly is and, um, yeah, for me, that was a, an easier way. And it is ease through the resistance, isn't it? We, we put up so much resistance all the time. It's like finding the ease. And you know what? That was, that was so well put, you know, that was more than three tips, mate. That was just like an entire lifetime of learning. Now you did it just before you quoted Buddha. And I noticed that you quote at times, you know, Darwin and Shakespeare and Rumi and, and you've said man's search for meaning has been a theme through every civilization, every great leader, scientist, and philosopher. If you could go back in time and chill with just one, who would it be and why? Rumi for sure. <laughs> uh, Jesus, actually, Jesus uh, Christ for sure. But if we're talking mystics and philosophers, then Rumi. There's something about how he conceptualizes God and, and the universe that it's such a deep point of connection for me. Like it feels like the same soul in a way. Um, how he, how he writes about love and how he understands the world through that lens is very, very, very inspiring to me. Beautiful. Now we become the product of the people we hang around, the people we attract. And I'd love to know who are the kind of people that you surround yourself with in your support network and, and closest circle of influence, not by name, but by, by what are the traits? 
who are these people? That's a great question um, and a good point of reflection as well. Mm. I've been like a, a traveler basically for the past 10 years. So this is actually the first year in my whole adult life that I've been centrally located. So I'm used to being around a lot of people and I'm, I'm used to falling in love with a lot of strangers, you know, and I'm sort of living that, that sort of life. But this year has really forced me to have consistent relationships in my life, <laughs> which is, there's been so much learning in that. And it's, it's made me reflect deeply on what I value because I've, I've very much been my own best friend um, my whole life, really. But to rely on other people and, and what, what do I trust in other people? What do I value in other people? away from, I guess, like seeing, feeling inspired by someone or um, seeing the ambition in someone and really like wanting to be around that when I'm on tour or whatever. In a more intimate capacity, I feel like the ability to own yourself is huge for me, like being around people that can own not just the epic things about themselves but be able to own in, in their own way the things that, you know, maybe once upon a time they regretted or they... Um, they felt shame. I think that's a huge point that creates intimacy for me. Someone that's transcended that shame and has, um, they're, they're now using it as a, as a personal power. That's really beautiful energy for me to be around. Honesty is huge. Um, the desire to want to understand, I think that's a really big, that's a really big thing for me. I'm, I'm a very, I'm quite neurologically atypical <laughs> So I like, I, I like the way you put that. Yeah. Compassionate towards myself. So I, you know, people think that they know me a lot. Um, cause I share a lot. I think uncovering the deeper layers of how I, I operate, like I'm still not even a fraction of the way there and I've been trying to do it for 27 years. So like being around people that really seek understanding, um, helps me feel like I'm growing in that relationship rather than projecting and, or like making up their mind about who I am, like actually being present. And again, it comes back to presence. I try and be this for people rather than projecting my opinion or my interpretation of how someone's being actually just really having no judgment as much as possible and being like, well, why are you like that? Or that, that that's really important to me as well. I'd love to ask you, so it's a really good way to wrap up this incredibly epic conversation that we've just had, but you have, absolutely created an extraordinary life, not just for yourself, but I guess for the greater circle of people that, you know, you radiate towards, what are your top three tips to living a fulfilling and purposeful life? I love these questions. I love being asked questions. I'm not usually asked. I'm sure you get that's that. my gig. That's yeah. I d it happens all the time. Yeah. So good. Number one is the B plan is the plan that you're being. So I've never been one to have a B plan. And I didn't realize, you know, 10 years ago when I started this journey, uh, that how much that approach to life would continue to teach me about reality. And the more that I only had the A plan, the more I recognized that actually our focus is what creates our reality period. So we're so busy often tripping on all these things that we don't want, you know, we're, we're preparing for the worst. Like we're literally rehearsing the worst case scenario. And then when it happens, we're like, see, life is shit. It's like you were rehearsing that you were, you were literally preparing for the worst case scenario. So I think one thing that I've always been really good at is just jumping in head first and trusting that if I'm choosing it, that is the only way. And maybe this is a, a more powerful way for, for your listeners to frame it. 
when you choose it, that is the only way for reality to move through you. Like you're not leaving any other space for reality to happen through you when you make a powerful choice. That's why I think there's quotes like the most powerful thing in a man or a woman is a changed mind. Like when, when a human being makes up their mind, you bend reality, you, you shift, you know, matter around you. Everything that you see is a creation of, of someone that started this thought form. So that's number one, you know, and the more that you learn about that and the more you put it into practice, the more you're like, I can't believe people stay in situations that are safe, that they hate. Like the more that you really practice this, it's, it's a law that no one is exempt from. Yeah. Mm, like totally. you, are not, you are not an exception to that rule. <laughs> it is just a universal law. It will work for you when you start to put it into practice. So that's. And that's, it's practice. You have to practice. Practice. You can't just expect things to just manifest. Like manifesting is, is a word that's overused so much. It's practice. It's practice. Totally. Constantly. That's how you build the trust with yourself. And um, that's how the universe like can hear you if you want to frame it in that way and be like, okay, I see that you're being consistent. This is the direction you want to travel. I'm going to start to rearrange things to accommodate that for you. So that's huge. I would say imagination is my second tip. So many people don't, don't have the life that they want because they just can't see it they can't imagine it they don't spend any time hanging out in the possibility of it and I've been guilty of that too like I've had an amazing life I've traveled to 45 plus countries doing what I love and being able to live a really abundant prosperous life in in doing that and yet I've still found myself this year being like I was, I've still been trapped in an identity of like, I'm only a philosopher, I'm only a writer, I'm only a speaker. So I think being a beginner, like using your imagination, one of the things that I've done this year is uh, create a rap EP. And I've so loved the process, like so much. And of course, when I made that decision, I had all the stuff come up of like, who do you think you are? Like, you're not a rapper, you know? Uh, but what's so interesting is the de-identification, like my inability to see myself as that at the very beginning actually blinded me from seeing how much I actually am that. Yeah. Like I was a performer, then a writer, then a speaker. Rap's actually the natural progression of that. But because I was looking at these people that I admired so much and being like, I'm not like that that de-identification wasn't allowing me to imagine the possibility. And the more that I actually allowed myself to be with that, honestly, like whenever we can actually have shows and concerts again, the idea of bringing that expression to the audiences that I usually speak to and to have them have hooks that they can sing back to me and to engage in that holistic way is like, that to me is a feeling unlike anything, like the most expensive feeling I've, I've ever felt. And that was something that originally I wasn't allowing myself to connect to the possibility of because my, I just, my imagination wasn't going there. So I'd say your imagination is so powerful. And if you just keep making aligned choices to that imagination, you don't need to be the best straight away. Everything's practice. Like imagine if we said to a little kid, oh, you're pretty shit at walking, mate. You probably should just quit. You know, like the only way that we learn to walk fluently is by doing it again and again and again until we're, um, until we're good at it. And anything can be like that. Singing can be like that. Rap can be like that. I listened to, you know, recordings from 10 months ago when I started and I was so off rhythm and so out of beat, but I just kept practicing 
and allowing myself to be shit until I wasn't shit. And then I'm sure if I listen back to my stuff now in five years, I'll be like, oh my God, what was I thinking? But that's, that's just a part of your creative expansion as a human being and your evolution. So to have, I have a, I have a saying, it's like, I can't, therefore I must. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like you're infinite. If you can see it, if you can imagine it, then there is a pathway for you to be able to achieve that. And I guess that, that plays into my third tip, which is, um, like the, the playfulness with it. It doesn't have to be so serious. We get taught all of these things. I like to share stories. You could probably tell because I feel like it helps people connect more meaningfully with the message. So one thing I share on that is I had a parent call me one time because I was working with one of her children in the, uh, a program that my foundation was running at, at their school. And she was mad at me. She was mad at me because her daughter came home and said, uh, Nicole said, or the, the Rogan Rouge team said that I can be a musician. And she was mad that I told her daughter that she could be a musician. And I was listening to this. I was like, okay, just hear this woman out because she clearly um, feels very justified in her position here. And I just heard her and she was like, you can't be telling my daughter this because it's not, it's not safe and there's no pathway and um, it's not what we wanted to do and she doesn't need outside influence putting these ideas in her head, blah, blah, blah. And I let her speak and then when she finally finished, I said, does your daughter, or I asked, does your daughter sing every day? And she said, yes. And I said, does your daughter play guitar every day? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but your daughter is a musician. She, she might not be the equivalent yet of a, a Hollywood superstar, but she is a musician. So I'm just reinforcing something that she already is. And it's actually maybe your ideas of how that needs to look that are creating so much um, animosity in you around that. And what I want you to take from that story is there's things that you already are that you're probably judging um, against, you know, a, an ideal. And I think as a human being, we've been conditioned in this way so much. Like the whole schooling system is around competition and I've got to be the best and I've got to win at the expense of you and I have to be the top of my class and I have to to get the promotion. I have to whatever. Um, And it stops us from actually just being in our experience. And the more you can be in your experience, like some of my favorite people are like the biggest weirdos, you know, like, Tommy Franklin, you guys probably know, some of you might know him if you're Aussie. Yeah. Um, Salty Rain, right? Like he's such a dear friend of mine. And when you watch him dance, like technically you're like, what are you doing? But he's so embodied in his experience that it's magnetic. People love watching him. He's entertaining. He is inspiring to people because he's in his experience, not because he's getting it right. There's nothing to get right for Tommy Franklin. Like he's just in his own expression. And the more that you're in your own expression, you can't get it wrong. Mm. That reframes really powerful as well. Nicole, we could be here for another hour, mate. Just (laughs) this has been fantastic. And I I just want to thank you from the depth of my soul for you, for sharing all of these amazing nuggets and anecdotal stories. Um, And, you know, being raw and authentic today in our interview. And um, I really am looking forward to diving deep with you in our next chat into the daily intricacies of your life and your habits. So once again, mate, thank you so much for coming on the Healthy Habit Hot Seat and um, we'll talk soon. Much love. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Healthy Habit Hot Seat. 
make sure to visit loslife.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and other platforms so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd be stoked with a five-star rating on iTunes. Better still, tell a friend and share the love. If you loved this episode, you might want to check out my book, The Healthy Habit Handbook, available in soft cover, ebook, and audio form on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, Apple Music, Audible, and all good book retailers. Be sure to tune in for our next episode for your fortnightly dose of inspiration from some of the world's most successful and healthy lifestyle masters. Remember, stay inspired. I'm Los Antonenko and ciao for now. <laughs>